Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what makes for a good sermon then? At the end of a Sunday morning, when you go home and dissect the service over Sunday lunch, what criteria do you use to evaluate the sermon that you've heard, assuming that is 
that you can remember anything about the sermon by the time you get home. Dwayne Kederman teaches adult education classes and asked his students what makes a sermon a good sermon. He said the answers fell broadly into three categories. And I want to share these with you so you can see whether his criteria match and correspond to yours. The first cluster of answers defines a good sermon in terms of communicational excellence. A good sermon is a sermon I can follow. The main point of the sermon is clear. The sermon is well organised. The preacher doesn't speak over my head. The preacher doesn't repeat the same point over and over. The preacher uses images, stories and ways of speaking that keep me listening and move me. A second way people define a good sermon is in terms of its biblical faithfulness. A good sermon is rooted in the Bible. It teaches me something from a text of the Bible. A good sermon is not the opinion of the preacher. It's a word from God that has authority because it's from the word of God. Preachers and churches run into trouble when they forget that preaching is first and foremost a proclamation of scripture. And the third way people define a good sermon is in terms of its transformational power. A good sermon challenges me. It changes me. It leads me to deeper obedience. It stretches me. A good sermon brings me closer to God. It deepens my faith. Makes us a better church. A good sermon makes me a better, more loving person. A good sermon makes me a better kingdom citizen. Kederman's response to this feedback is worth pondering. He says, preaching that doesn't call for and lead to transformation is only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. A good sermon is not the same as an enjoyable sermon. Good sermons call us to the cross and invite us into a new life with Christ. Spiritual transformation isn't, of course, just the work of preachers and worshippers. It's the work of God. Preaching doesn't change people. God changes people through preaching. And preachers and worshippers must approach the sermon filled with awe, humility and expectancy that the Holy Spirit will do a great work through this sermon. And this involves intense prayer and spiritual preparation on the part of preacher and worshipper, without which transformational power is sure to elude everyone. That's quite profound, actually. A good sermon is not just about my preaching, what I say and how I say it. It's about how the sermon is received the impact it has on its hearers as the Spirit applies God's word to the hearts of God's people. That means without your participation, it's impossible for me ever to preach a good sermon. I could stand here and say these words to an empty church and it, would not, it could never be a good sermon because it could never impact on anybody's life and make a difference. It means as well that if this is the bit of the service where you switch off, 
This is the bit of the service where you sit back and evaluate my sermon on how enjoyable it is, how relevant it is, how interesting it is. Then you are no longer in a position to receive what I have to say or what God might want to say through me. If you, as the congregation, are not active, receptive participants, there will never be any good sermons in Brighton Road. That's why I think training ministers have such a hard time preaching good sermons when they go to visit churches. Because if the congregation knows that our preacher this morning is a student from such and such a college, they all switch into evaluation mode. Well, what kind of sermon is this guy going to preach this morning? How is this woman going to do here among us today? And there is a significant proportion of people who feel their role is to evaluate rather than be open to what God might be saying through this person. That's one important reason, though not necessarily the only one, why students find it very hard to preach good sermons. Because people aren't expecting, necessarily, a good sermon from this person. Kederman, again, worshippers must lean forward and be active participants in the proclamation of God's word, urgently seeking out what word God has for them on this particular Sunday. Every church wants its pastor to be able to preach good sermons. But only as preachers and congregations do everything they can to make the preaching meaningful and life-changing is it ever possible to speak of good sermons in any church. So I will always do my best, try and do my bit, in terms of seeking to preach the gospel and interpret God's word for today's world. But if at the end of the day my sermon is just enjoyable or interesting, then I have failed. Because the purpose of a sermon, the touchstone of its quality, is whether the Spirit of God takes the words of the Bible and applies them through a sermon to the hearts of the hearers in such a way that their lives are changed for the better as a result. Now, the Apostle Paul was not a good preacher. People in Corinth didn't rate him very highly at all. He's unimpressive in appearance, and his speaking is nothing to write home about. That was their verdict. Corinth was a city that prized rhetorical excellence. And Paul knew there was no way he could compete with the popular speakers who wowed the crowds in the marketplace. He came to Corinth feeling totally inadequate. I came to you, he says, in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. Yet despite that, the Spirit of God took his faltering, stumbling words and used them to change people's lives. There was no way Paul was going to go down the road of competing with the crowd-pleasing performers whom people flocked to listen to, yet at the same time he knew that he was commissioned by God to speak God's word. He had a responsibility to discharge and an awareness of his own weaknesses, inadequacy and failings led him to rely completely upon God. And it's because he did so that people's lives were changed. 
not as a result of any wise or persuasive words on his part, but solely as a result of the Spirit's power applying God's word to the hearts of God's people. So that those who believed in response to his preaching didn't have human foundation, didn't have human wisdom as the foundation for their faith, but rather the power of God. So Paul's preaching wasn't marked by smooth, impressive powers of articulation, nor was it endorsed by the applause of his audience, but it was authenticated because the Spirit of God used what he said to impact with power, life-changing power, in the lives of his listeners. Why was Paul's preaching anointed in this way? One key factor could have been that in no way was he seeking to promote himself. His aim was simply to be a transparent window through whom people could see the cross of Christ. Because their focus was not to be on the preacher of the message, but on the one that Paul was preaching about. Not on the proclaimer, but on the one proclaimed. Reading between the lines, it looks like there were a fair number of people at Corinth who prided themselves on being spiritually mature. They were a cut above everybody else. They had a spiritual vantage point from which they could sit in judgment on what was going on. They had a position of superiority. They were the ones who were really in the know. They were on the inside track. They were the ones who really mattered. And Paul cuts them down to size. All this talk of being wise, all this talk of being spiritual, amounts to nothing unless you are open to accept the message of the cross in your innermost being. And spiritual spiritual adults who prize their own maturity and wisdom need to understand that spiritual adulthood involves living responsibly and wisely for the benefit of other people and for the good of the whole community. A truly spiritual person is someone whose life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we all think, I've got a fair way to go. At least if we're spiritual people, we recognise we've got a fair way to go. But if we recognise that, then our prayer should be, Lord, open my heart to accept your word with humility and change me by your spirit to make me more like your son, Jesus Christ. Because he's the true image of God. He's the blueprint of the kind of people you are calling us to be. So those were really spiritual, those whose minds are attuned to the Spirit of God rather than to the human standards of wisdom. They are people whose lives are changed by God's word. And that's as true today in Horsham as it was in Corinth in the first century. Only the Spirit of God can move us beyond the discussion about whether or not that was a good sermon this morning to the realisation that we heard God speak to us today. 
And the more your focus is upon the preacher, the harder it is to hear God speak. Yet ultimately that is what the exercise of preaching and listening to sermons is all about. What does God have to say to me through his word? And as we pray that kind of prayer, and as we ask God to open our hearts to his spirit, then the sermon stops being something extrinsic and external to us that we can sit in judgment upon and assess. Instead, the spirit of God internalizes God's message, that it sinks from the brain into the heart, and from there moves us into action, setting head and heart and hand all at work. So what should our attitude be as we come to listen to Or read the word of God. Athanasius, one of the church fathers, put it well. For the searching and right understanding of the scriptures, there is need of a good life and a pure soul and for Christian virtue to guide the mind to grasp, so far as human nature can, the truth concerning God the word. Only God can make God known. Only the Spirit of God can put us in touch with the heart of God. Only God's Spirit can communicate the reality of God to the depths of our own human heart. And unless the Spirit of God does that, whatever I preach will never amount to anything more than empty words. But when the Spirit of God is at work then the preaching of the gospel, the message of the cross, comes with life-changing power and with deep conviction. How you listen is every bit as important as what I say and how I say it. And if you're not hearing anything, then you need to tune into God's frequency. A prayer. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word. And give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord, who loved us and gave his life on the cross for us to change us. Amen.